So much of life is basically boil, you can boil it down to a matter of winning and losing. I am a huge football fan, probably too huge. Uh, that's probably That would probably be the testament of people who have to share television uh, with me. But I follow the whole process. I follow it from the recruiting to the conditioning to their studying of the teams that they're going to play and then ultimately the game uh, where there is a winner and, and a loser. And there's, there's no middle ground. And these groups of people spend their whole year preparing to be undefeated and to win in the end. And the majority of them lose. And that idea translates to a number of areas in life. And many of those areas of life probably don't, you know, they're, they don't mean a whole lot. You know, you play football in college, you lose, you go on with your life, and you can become a productive uh, person and contributor to society. But there are areas where it matters whether you win or you lose, whether you are defeated or undefeated. And one area that I'm thinking of this morning where that really applies has to do with our spiritual destiny. When it comes to that, there will only be two categories of people, winners and losers. Not in the sense of a, an athletic game where we're playing for fun, but in a real, substantive, meaningful way, every person that graces the face of this, this earth is either going to win ultimately or they're going to lose. We're going to be defeated or undefeated by the one who is trying to make a loser out of us. It's interesting that you can go to the Bible and you can find real-life incidents, especially in the Old Testament, many of which Jay is covering in this quarter's curriculum and will cover in coming weeks. Many of those real-life experiences correlate to a spiritual experience that, that you and I will, will have. And one of those instances or incidents that I would like to turn our minds to this morning as we think about this idea of winning and losing, being defeated versus being undefeated, is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now that's not the actual incident, but it is a retelling by Moses of the details of these things that have happened in their history where their ancestors were losers. And I mean that in the sense that they didn't accomplish the task that was before them. They didn't remain undefeated. They became defeated. And Moses' point here is, know these things, learn from these things, so that you can remain undefeated. And then when you get over the New Testament, the New Testament writers point back to this, that incident and to that retelling of it by Moses 
and make spiritual application of these things so that you and I also can remain undefeated in matters that mean the most to us even today. So I hope you will turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're just going to focus in on the first four verses here, make three points of observation under the theme or the heading, how to remain undefeated. There were two groups that came out of the wilderness wanderings. Moses talks about that here. There were the ones who died off in the wilderness because of their unbelief. We might term them the losers or the defeated ones. And then there were the very few that came out of that experience undefeated. They were winners and they're recognized as such. But pretty much a whole generation of people died in that wandering when they came out of Egypt. 603,550 people were numbered at Mount Sinai. 20 years old and upward that were able to go to war. That was the number of the fighting men representative of that nation of people when Moses gave them the law at Sinai. 603,548 of them, all but two of those that were numbered, died in the wilderness. You know Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that survived that experience of that group of numbered people. And a whole new group of people have been born in the wilderness through that experience. But the great majority of them died. But not by design. It wasn't God's intent that they die in the wilderness. But that was an inevitable part of the process. The testing and the measuring that took place of them on that occasion. And Moses would later tell that subsequent generation how to not have that experience. In other words, how to remain undefeated. Now let's dig into that in the time that we have together this morning. The first point of observation comes from verse 1, and it is this. We are, this is how you remain undefeated. We are to be careful observers of God's instruction. If you want to remain undefeated in this life and ultimately experience what God has prepared for you in eternity, being undefeated begins with being careful to observe the God's instructions. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Notice that every command. Notice you must do this. You must be careful to observe these things. You know, the, the details of life and situations, our situation and experience is much different than the people to whom Moses was speaking on this occasion. The details change, but the design and the duty of the matter doesn't change at all. It remains the same. Today, it is still about knowing God's will and carefully observing it. 
Hold your place there and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Lest you and I get in our mind that this was an experience that happened long ago that really doesn't apply to us today, and their situation of winning and losing doesn't really apply to my situation of winning and losing, Paul's going to clear that up for us here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, follow with me through verses 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's their exodus uh, from Egypt. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's a losing strategy. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, <clears throat> upon whom the... <clears throat> upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. <clears throat> the whole point there is, in the, the end of that passage is, with respect to you and I, thinking that, that something has come upon us that we're not able to overcome and therefore that, that uh, insurmountable thing caused me to be defeated. Paul is saying God is never going to put you in a situation that you can't endure and overcome. We are in a fight to remain undefeated in this world. And it will never be the case that the odds are stacked against us. God will make sure that you and I have the ability to overcome, to remain undefeated, to be winners as far as this life is concerned. <clears throat> Same with those people of Moses' day. They had every advantage they needed. They had every opportunity they needed to be successful. But they failed God and they failed themselves. The fact that they lost was not God's fault. It was their fault. And Moses outlines, or Paul rather outlines there in 1 Corinthians 10, a whole host of things that they engaged in that kept them from being winners, that led to their demise and their defeat. And the bottom line is, they didn't obey God through faith. And so they lost. Submitting to God is not 
like negotiating a business deal. It's not like a give and take where I say, well, I like this part, but I don't like this. And so, God, I'm going to do this, but I'm, I'm going to let that. It's not like that. Now, we do that all the time in business and in our interaction with one another. We negotiate, but there's no negotiating with God. These people complained, they balked at, and they cried and whined in the wilderness about the circumstances that they faced. But God didn't pull back and say, you know, it is unfair. I'm going to redo this and make it easier for you. God knows what he's doing. And he knew what he was doing with them. And his purposes in that situation accomplished the goal that he had in mind. And many of them lost because they didn't stand up to the test that God had put before them. It's not about negotiating with God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Here it's about paying careful attention to his commands and his instructions, every one of them, and doing them accordingly. God's promises, his blessings are contingent upon faithful obedience to him. And that's not popular in the religious world today because people are looking for what they're looking for. And they want church and religion to match their interest and their desires. I'm sure the people that came out of Egypt had some mind about what they were going to experience there. But it wasn't that at all. And then they were upset with God because it didn't match their expectations. And today people get upset when their religious or spiritual experience doesn't match their expectations. The best thing for us to do is, would be to go back and look at God's word. To see what he promised. To see what he guaranteed. To see what he didn't promise, what he didn't guarantee. And what he expects of me in all of that and be careful to do exactly what he has said. <clears throat> this detail about faithfulness has not diminished any. It's still the same today. I'll give you a couple of passages along these lines. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 in particular, where Paul says of God that he will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But listen to this. But to those who are self-seeking, to those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, what, what's, what remains for them? Indignation, wrath. In other words, defeat, destruction. They lose because they were self-seeking rather than God-seeking. And so a winning strategy to be undefeated and to remain undefeated starts with following every word carefully that God has put before us. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 say, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the author of, of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It hasn't changed. Today, it is about you and me obeying God. 
and being careful to follow every detail that he has put before us. Now, the second point of observation comes out of verses 2 and 3. And we might look at these verses under the, the theme or the point of God may use adversity to test our hearts. Number one, we are to be careful observers of God's instruction. But in order to remain undefeated in this life, it's valuable for you and me to know that God may use adversity to test our hearts, to really get to know us through our experience in relation to his commandments and his will for us. Look at the verses. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you and test you. Why? To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This talks about adversity. And it talks about the adversity that the Israelites experienced in the wilderness. Adversity which overcame many of them, but not all of them. And Moses says that the 40-year wandering served two inherent goals. There, There were two goals that God had relative to that wilderness wandering. The first one has to do with evaluation, a test. It was a test. How well will they respond to adversity? I've given them instruction. I've commanded them to do. They have the obligation to be careful listeners in adherence to my instruction. But now here's an environment that will test them. What are they going to do with it? And so there was this evaluation component. And the Israelites were not the first people who were tested by God. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, God tested Abraham. How did he do that? Well, he put a huge task and obligation before him to offer his only son, only begotten son Isaac. Hmm. God had made a promise through that young man. And in order for that promise to be realized, that young man had to stay alive. And you know Abraham knew that in his mind. But the New Testament writers remind us and tell us that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him from the dead, and he would, if he had allowed him to go through the process of taking his son's life. Because he knew God had made a promise through that son, and God would be faithful to his promises. So there was a test for Abraham. Abraham, will you go through to the point of actually doing what I'm telling you to do? And Abraham was willing. And he went all the way up to the line to where God stopped him. And it was a test. And he passed that test by demonstrating that he was determined to do what God had commanded him to do. 
Now, how's he going to test them? Well, he's going to feed them with bread that they have never known and their fathers have never known. Manna from heaven, something like coriander seed, the Bible says. They've never experienced that as food before. And if you look at Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4, you see very specific instructions relative to that seed or to that, that bread from heaven. There the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. A test. A test in the wilderness. A test of during a period where you think there's a famine and lack of food, how much of the bread are you going to take off the off the grocery shelf? God says you take enough for your family for a day. But maybe in your mind you're thinking, how long is this stuff going to last? What about tomorrow? What if it doesn't come tomorrow? Maybe I need to get extra today. It's a test. It might seem silly. What's wrong with getting two days worth of groceries versus just one? That seems kind of silly. But it's a test. Will you trust God enough to do exactly what he says so that you can win and not lose? So that you can remain undefeated versus being defeated by your lack of faith? And so there's an evaluation involved. Instructions to follow. Will you follow them exactly as God has given them? And then the second part was humility. He humbled them. And that for their own good. It's good to be humble. Not prideful, arrogant. Having a sense of self-sufficiency. It's good to be brought to the point where you realize your dependency on God because then you're of a mind to cling to every word that proceeds from his mouth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. Just jump ahead a little bit in this chapter. <clears throat> there Moses says of God who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. It wasn't to do them bad or to cause them to be failures. It was to do them good because God knows humility is an essential ingredient to remaining undefeated. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Right? The prideful man falls in a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but before honor is humility. In other words, pride correlates with defeat, humility with victory. Humble people are more likely to be victorious people than prideful people at least according to the Bible. And again here, what was God trying to know? To know what? What was he after by evaluating and humbling them? 
Simply this. Will they keep my commandments or not? Will they keep my commandments or not? It's an either or situation. And so he tested to know where they were at. Just like a cardiologist, when you go to the doctor, he might do a number of tests to put you under some stress to see what's going on with your heart. Because sitting in a chair at home, driving your vehicle for work, whatever, might not ever reveal a heart problem. But he could put you under stress in his office and see if there's something going on with your heart. And God can do the very same thing spiritually. He can put us under stress or at least take the stressful situations in our life and use them as a measurement of the condition of our hearts. And that's exactly what is happening here. Verse 3 says that the design here is the ultimate result that God is aiming for here is to get his people to a place of deeper dependency on his word. He allowed them to hunger. Why? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, look at this, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses to dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through this great wilderness, great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the uh, flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Look at verse 17. Then you say in your hearts, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Be careful. In all of your blessings, when you or I are inclined to think in our heart, I'm a winner because of all that I have done and all that I've accomplished. Be careful, lest you forget that where you are, who you are, and everything you have has been permitted by God. And it may be more of a test than a reward for our faithfulness. He allowed them to hunger. Why? To test them. He fed them with unfamiliar food. Why? So they couldn't say, look what I did. It was a test. To let them see that they needed more than bread. They needed every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Every word. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, you know, before 
33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we back up to verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. It's about the word of God. Because man cannot live by bread alone, but he must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. People like the idea of God's providence, but not so much as governance. You and I need to be appreciative of his providence, but attribute it to his governance. Because the blessings in our life come as a result of our paying careful attention to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The third and last point of observation is found in verse 4. And it is this, you will never lose when you are faithful to God's instruction. That doesn't say you'll never have diversity. We already know we may face adversity because oftentimes adversity is a test. Or at least it becomes a test. You may be in a difficult situation right now because of your or my own foolish choices in life. And God didn't put us there, but he could certainly use it as a test to see how we'll deal with it. So sometimes we put ourselves in our own test. But the obligation is still there to prove that we're going to follow God regardless. So let's notice in verse 4, you will never lose when you are faithful to God's instruction. Chapter 8, verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet foot swell these 40 years. What is he saying? Well, your clothes didn't wear out. That's what he's saying. And you didn't develop foot problems from wandering in the wilderness all of this time? Is that because you, you, you took care of your feet and you had, you know, very nicely stitched clothing? Is that the point you're supposed to get out of that? No. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 29 verses 4 through 6. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have... I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink. Listen, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The whole point of the longevity of their shoes and their clothing and the sustenance that they were provided was so that they would know that God is the one who was making that provision for them. You see, we often miss the providence because we lock in on the problems. We lock in on the adversity. And we say, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to experience this? Rather than turning to God's providence and saying, God has told me he's not going to put me in a situation, a test, that I can't pass. So it's just up to me to listen to him very carefully and to take heed to what he has said and do according to what he's commanded. And God has assured me when I do that, I will remain undefeated. 
And he gives them witness to this fact by providing that their clothes don't wear out. They don't run out of food. Their feet do not become problematic. But in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3, we get a glimpse of how they responded to the situation that they faced. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat in pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. That's the wrong interpretation. They should have turned to God's providence and trusted him and just did what he had commanded them to do. And that's where they failed. That's where they became losers. That's where they were defeated. God has never left himself without witness that he intends to take care of us. They had physical evidence that God was taking care of. Shoes wear out. Clothes get old. Food is eaten up and has to be replenished. We experience that every day. And yet here they were in a situation where none of that happened. And it should have turned their mind to God, but it didn't. It turned them to complaining. It turned them into losers. But you and I can draw strength from this to know that just as God provided for them what they needed to be sustained and to be victorious and to be undefeated in that wilderness wandering, so today, and especially from a spiritual perspective, God has advantaged us and given us the ability to be victorious, to remain undefeated in this world. But we have to listen to Him, and we have to adhere to His instruction very carefully. We have to be reminded that adversity is going to come, but often that adversity becomes a test to see how we're going to respond to it. And we need to be assured and know that we will never lose when we are faithful to God's instruction. The only real categories of humanity that matter today, ultimately, are the winners and the losers. The ones who come to know God's eternal blessings and those who don't. But that's all that will matter in the end. Nothing else will. That's it. The spiritual truth is effectively illustrated for us in the wilderness wanderings. Those who remain undefeated are those who have resolved to obey God at all costs and through all tests. May God help us to be that kind of people so we can be undefeated by the world that is ruled and governed by one who wants to see each of us defeated. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, why not obey the gospel this morning? Why not allow God to begin the process of saving your soul by becoming a Christian, a child of his? Through faith, repentance, confession, And baptism in water for the purpose of having your sins washed away. You can become a Christian this morning. You can be on the path to victory, spiritually speaking. You can take that first step to remaining undefeated by this world and this life. If you are a child of God and you're not where you need to be, I hope this morning no greater time than than the present. Beginning a new year, uh, Lord willing, 
one that we will continue with some longevity. <clears throat> you could start over, you can make wrong things right, and you begin to serve him faithfully as he desires. If we can help you in any way this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.